This week's episode is a bit different from the usual true crime cases we cover. It is different for one simple reason. The difference being is that this episode is technically not an actual crime. But as ever, with all the cases we cover, we will present the facts and the aftermath and let you, the listener, form your own opinions on what occurred. Estonia. Estonia, this is Cecilia. You're replying on channel 16. Estonia, this is Cecilia. Or Europe on channel 16. Cecilia, Europa, Viking, Estonia. Estonia, Estonia. Mayday, Mayday. Cilia Europa, Estonia. Estonia, Cilia Europa. Are you uh, calling Mayday? Estonia, what's going on? Can you reply? Uh, this is Estonia. Uh, uh, What you just heard was part of the Mayday call from the MS Estonia at 1.22am on Wednesday, the 28th of September, 1994. The passenger ship, sailing its usual route from Tallinn, Estonia to Stockholm, Sweden, disappeared from radar just 30 minutes after having made initial contact with another passenger ferry the MS Silja Europa and tragically sank to the bottom of the Baltic Sea. It is one of the worst maritime disasters of the 20th century and the most deadliest in European waters since World War II. The official investigation in the aftermath of the tragedy would draw its own conclusions as to the reasoning behind the sinking of the ferry. Nonetheless, despite these official findings, relatives of the dead, shipping experts, and even politicians would come to completely different conclusions as to why the ferry capsized and sank on that cold and blustery night back in 1994. This is Nordic True Crime. In 1959, a new type of ferry was introduced to the Baltic Sea, Roro Ships, which stands for Roll On, Roll Off. 
These new ships were designed to carry wheeled cargo, such as cars and trucks, which could access vessels via huge ramps, and on foot passengers, who would be able to board via a movable bridge. A cost-effective new approach, as up until this time, vehicles and foot passengers usually travelled on separate boats. This new way of travelling really began to boom in the 1970s and 80s, when shipping companies focused on providing both comfort and entertainment for passengers, making the journey itself the main part of the holiday experience. And there was, of course, money to be made. So the ships got bigger and became more and more luxurious. The cruise ship MS Estonia was built in 1980 in Germany. It was previously called Viking Sally, Silja Star and Vasa King before being renamed MS Estonia and was put into traffic in the Baltic Sea between Tallinn in Estonia and Stockholm, Sweden. The ship itself was 155.4 meters long and 24.2 meters wide, had nine decks and held up to 2,000 passengers. In 1994, the ship was newly renovated and for the time was considered to be somewhat luxurious. On the evening of the 27th of September, 1994, the ship was crossing the Baltic Sea en route from Tallinn to Stockholm. The ferry was running at around half its capacity and the passengers were generally in good spirits. Many were enjoying a meal in the restaurant, others were having a drink at the bar and some were even trying their luck at the blackjack tables. One passenger was celebrating her birthday and the entertainment staff played happy birthday over the speakers and even served complimentary champagne to mark the occasion. On another area of the ship, passengers danced the night away to the songs of the band who were playing on the stage. The weather that evening was particularly windy, and it was beginning to get more and more noticeable. The ship was swaying from side to side and some passengers began to feel sick. The Baltic Sea is relatively easy to navigate through, although when the weather is bad, this is not always the case. It is quite shallow, which means that when the wind picks up, it can create rather large waves, and it's not unusual to encounter these intimidating walls of water which are 7 to 8 meters high. However, in really bad weather, these same waves can be as high as 14 meters. When this happens, speed is the key in order to avoid damaging the ship. 
The swaying motion of the ferry began to get worse, so much so that the waitresses couldn't walk in a straight line when serving tables, and some of the dancers even lost their balance a few times, falling on the stage. When the band's instruments started tumbling over just before midnight, the performance was put to a stop and the guests were directed downstairs to the karaoke bar to continue their night. But the heavy swaying of the boat made up the minds of several passengers and they called it a night and went off to their cabins to try and sleep. Passengers would later say that they could see the ship rising up and smashing down into the unforgiven ocean over and over again through the small round cabin windows. Suddenly, there was a massive bang and the ship listed heavily to the one side. The list was so sharp that some passengers fell out of their beds. Dazed and confused, they wondered what could have happened. Was it possible that the vehicles had somehow got free and were rolling driverless down the car deck? The guests in the bar area looked at each other, also trying to figure out what had just happened. And with that, the boat began listing for a second time. This was a much larger list than the previous one. The whole ship veered 25 degrees to the side and glasses and cutlery came flying off the tables, crashing to the floor. Tables and chairs followed and it was around about this time that the passengers began to realize just how serious the situation was. Guests started to leave the sanctity of their cabins, some in just their underwear, and walked around the corridors in both fear and concern. Some were even seen to be crying. And just like before, the next violent list was suddenly upon the terrified passengers. Everything that wasn't fixed to the walls or floors went flying in the air along with the veering ship. And Miss Estonia was now almost lying entirely on the one side. Sheer panic set in. What just seconds ago used to be the walls was now both the floor and ceiling and many people now found themselves hanging in the air holding onto whatever their hands could grab hold of. Some lost their grip of railings and other fixings and fell down on top of chairs, bottles and other debris. Bleeding, injured passengers were now spread out across the floor, tangled in amongst each other and the clutter. One girl was trapped underneath a large cupboard and the panic in her eyes was clear to see, according to one witness. 
the realization of impending doom now began to dawn on everyone. They needed to get out and get out now. But many just couldn't do it. The shock and panic was too much for some and they didn't dare to move an inch. One passenger, called Magnus Lindström, was on board the ship with his girlfriend and his parents and remembers exactly how this fear gripped his loved ones. He recalled leaving his cabin after the loud bang and subsequent violent list. He then went to his parents' cabin to wake them and together the four of them made for the only means of escape. As he struggled up the now almost vertical staircase towards deck 5 where the lifeboats were located, he suddenly realized that his girlfriend and parents were no longer with him. Magnus fought his way back down to deck 4 where he had last seen them. And there they were, at the far end of the corridor between the hallway and the staircase. They were completely frozen with fear. They were all in shock. As he prepared to cross the floor towards them, his mom told him to stop, leave them where they were and save himself. They had almost accepted their fate. There was no time to think. He had to act there and then. And with that, he turned and climbed the staircase towards deck 5. This would be the last time that he would see his girlfriend, mother and father alive. Several witnesses later stated that their survival instincts kicked in. They realized that they couldn't help others to escape if they themselves wanted to survive. Every second counted. The longer they stayed inside, the more likely it became that they would never get out. But getting to the door which led to the outside deck, which was now the ceiling, was proving to be an extremely difficult task. Only the physically and perhaps mentally strong would make it. People started to form a chain by holding hands in an attempt to reach the door. The fate of anyone who fell from this human chain was something not to be considered. And to make matters worse, the boat had now begun to sink. One survivor would later describe the sinking process as like going down a very slow elevator. Things were going from bad to worse. The lights went out and darkness consumed the inside of the boat. Water was pouring in and it was now very clear that MS Estonia would soon be completely submerged. 
the ones that made it to the outside of the ship, soon realized that since the vessel was on its side, the lifeboats couldn't be winched down. So all they could do was to try and sit and grip onto the side of the ship, hoping that they would soon be rescued. At the same time, huge waves came crashing over them, again and again, each time dragging poor souls down into the dark sea. One woman was standing on the side of the ship next to her pregnant friend, who by this time was understandably hysterical. She kept telling her that the helicopters would be here soon and that they would then be saved. She promised her that she would bring her home again. And with that, her friend calmed down, thanks to her reassuring words. But suddenly, a huge wave came sweeping in and dragged them both into the icy cold sea. The pregnant woman did eventually come home, but neither she or her baby made it back alive. It was cold outside, very cold. The water temperature was only 10 degrees Celsius and the risk of hypothermia setting in was high. Hypothermia sets in when the body cools down to a temperature below that of 35 degrees. As body temperature decreases, the functionality of our organs slow down as well as the ability to think clearly. The blood vessels become retracted, which stiffens the body, making it harder to hold onto things. The body then starts to shake, which does increase the body heat, but if submerged in the ocean, this also leads to more water getting in between your clothes and skin, which in turn helps to speed up the cooling down process. When a temperature of 32 degrees is reached, the shaking stops and you become very disorientated and it is even possible to begin hallucinating. At 30 degrees, your pulse and breathing slows down considerably and you go into torpidity and by 22 to 20 degrees, the heart ceases beating. For the average fully dressed person who falls into water which has a temperature of 10 degrees, the first 15 minutes are critical. After just one hour, you can't use your hands anymore and the will to live rapidly fades away. One accelerant of the cooling down process is strong winds and in the early hours of the 28th of September there was a very strong gale making its way over the Baltic Sea.
MS Estonia was lying on its side and air had started to force its way out from the inside of the ship, leading to the formation of a vacuum. One witness, who had made it into the ocean, later said that he could feel how he was being pulled by this current and was almost sucked into the cardiac. But he knew that if he was to survive, he couldn't let this happen to him. So he began to frantically kick with his feet and luckily managed to swim away from the ship. Everyone who was now in the ocean was doing all they could to avoid being sucked down with the sinking ship. According to witnesses, the ship then suddenly rose up, almost like a church tower, and then slowly sank into the dark, cold sea. It was all over in roughly 30 minutes. The people who had made it out alive were now staring at the disappearing ship in disbelief and at the same time trying to somehow come to terms with what they had just witnessed. The lifeboats on the side of the ship couldn't be used but some inflatable life rafts had been deployed and they were filled with people desperately trying to stay inside. But the waves were constantly pounding these small rafts and every time they hit, someone would disappear out of sight. It was cold and dark and people were losing any hope they had left. That was until someone spotted a light on the horizon. It was a ship. The rescue was on the way. At 1.22 a.m. on the 28th of September, a mayday call was sent out from the bridge of the MS Estonia. MS Mariella and MS Celia Europa responded to the mayday call. But when they asked for the coordinates of the ship, the bridge replied that they had a blackout and were unable to give them an exact position. Eventually, they managed to advise of their coordinates and both MS Mariella and MS Celia Europa headed in the direction of the sinking ship. At the same time, not realizing the seriousness of the situation, at first, when they couldn't find MS Estonia on their radar, they believed that something must have been wrong with their equipment. MS Mariella had just had a new radar system installed, so they thought there must be some kind of fault, or that it was not calibrated correctly, and they therefore switched back to their own radar system. But when the ship still didn't show on the radar, the seriousness of the situation dawned on them. 
When they reached the coordinates given to them by MS Estonia, they switched on the vessel's huge searchlights, and that's when they saw hundreds of people floating in the water. Some of the passengers who managed to get a life jacket were blowing their whistles, whilst others screamed in fear and terror. The captain of MS Mariella was scared that he would accidentally run over some of the people in the water due to the severity of the strong winds which were making it difficult to control the movement of the ship. So both of the ships turned off their propellers and drifted along sideways with the winds towards the stranded passengers. The crew members on board were beginning to get agitated desperately wanting to help the survivors. But since the storm was so bad, it was too dangerous for them to release their lifeboats and the captain forbid them to put their own lives in immediate danger. All they could do was keep watch on the survivors and hope for the storm to calm. They could hear people in the water screaming for help. But the worst thing of all was when the screaming suddenly stopped. People were dying right in front of their eyes. All they could do was try and save the lives of those whose rafts came floating right up to the ship by instructing people to climb over to their own life rafts, which they had winched down to the bottom of the boat. In total, 34 lives were saved this way. Many people were overjoyed at the thought of finally being rescued from the icy cold waters. But when they soon realized that no help was coming because they were too far away from the ships, that joy quickly turned into despair, and they soon gave up hope and died. Others still had that fighting instinct inside and did what they could to try and stay alive until they could be safely rescued. The accounts of some of the survivors were harrowing. One of the rafts had been turned upside down by the high winds and waves, and on top of this life raft, which was really the bottom, lay a handful of people, whilst on the inside there was a man barely surviving in an air pocket. They had no opportunity to turn the raft over. All they could do was grasp hold of it as best they could and try to communicate with each other. The man in the air pocket underneath the raft was in constant fear of the people above him being swept away, because in his mind that would result in a death sentence for him, as when the rescue team finally arrived they would have no chance of knowing that he was under the raft. 
other witnesses said the waves were so high that when they were at the bottom of one of them, it was completely black all around them, as if they had been covered on all sides by massive black walls. And when the life rafts were hit by a wave, they folded in on themselves and the insides filled with water. This led to many survivors of the sinking of the ship, somewhat ironically, drowning inside the life rafts. For many of the people in the water, the realization that they could do nothing to help themselves or each other was heartbreaking. According to other survivors, some people just couldn't fight any longer and gave up and opened their mouths, allowing water to pour in and down into their lungs. When hypothermia had set in, death no longer seemed so bad. Almost anything would be better than the sheer hell they were going through. But suddenly, hope was reignited. Helicopters arrived on the scene. The first one to get there was a Finnish helicopter from the sea rescue, which arrived about one and a half hours after the sinking of Emma's Estonia. It was later followed by a further 25 helicopters, which were primarily sent from Finland and Sweden. The Finnish sea rescue helicopter managed to save 37 people, and that was mainly thanks to the fact that the crew were trained in sea rescue in difficult weather conditions, and were therefore able to land on the waiting ships nearby, drop off survivors, and return to rescue more people. The other helicopters had to fly to various hospitals on the mainland to drop off survivors before returning to the scene. Sadly, if the situation wasn't already bad enough, the fuel ran out at the nearest fueling station, so the helicopter pilots were forced to fly further afield to fill their tanks, in turn delaying the rescue operation. Added to that, three Swedish helicopters encountered problems with their winch mechanism and therefore had to temporarily abort the mission for hours before managing to get the problem fixed. At 9am, the last surviving person was rescued from the water. The next stage of the operation was the recovery of the dead. Helicopters from Denmark, Estonia and Russia assisted until 6.30pm on the 29th of September when the search was called off. One man who was rescued recalled the mix of absolute joy and relief 
when he turned to his fellow survivors inside the life raft and said, They are here now, and pointed to the helicopter. But it really was mixed emotions, as it soon became apparent that they would not be able to save everyone at the same time. One man was being winched up to the helicopter, but when halfway up between the icy cold ocean and the aircraft, he slipped out of the harness and back into the water. The rescue swimmer swam over to him and checked his pulse. With a quick twist of the neck, he looked up to his colleague in the helicopter and shook his head. And with that, the winch was passed to another person. When the group who were stranded on the upside-down life raft were winched up to the safety of the helicopter, the last person shouted that there was still one man left. The rescue team replied that the raft was empty. The rescue swimmer then heard someone screaming hysterically whilst hitting the bottom of the raft. It was then that he realized there was indeed someone still there. To determine exactly where he was, he asked the man to strike the rubber wall and with that, the rescuer located him and cut open the bottom and freed him. Finally, his living hell was over. The man later said it was quite an unbelievable feeling, one that he would forever carry in his heart. In the clear light of day, the magnitude of the catastrophe was quickly becoming clear. Dead bodies were found tied together inside the lifeboats in an attempt to stay together and avoid being swept away. Some were even floating on the outside of the rafts, also tied to ropes. In total, 852 of the 989 passengers and crew died during and in the aftermath of the sinking of MS Estonia. The dead were from a total of 17 different countries, with the majority, 501, coming from Sweden and a further 285 coming from Estonia. Just how could this have happened? What led to the sinking of MS Estonia? Was it a terrible accident caused by a ship in disrepair? Or was it the cause of a more sinister motive? Find out in part two of the sinking of MS Estonia.
we would like to end this episode by saying thank you to our patron members. We really do appreciate the support you guys give to the show. So a warm welcome to our new patrons. Rolf Åge Breivik, Juanet Kielbasa, and Karen Hopper. Thank you so much. If you too would like to become a patron of the show and receive access to extra monthly episodes, as well as previously uploaded episodes, then find us at patreon.com forward slash Nordic True Crime or see the link in the show notes. Are you looking for headphones that provide quality sound, are stylish and have up to 9 hours battery life? Then Studio is the brand for you. At Studio, they want to revolutionize the way people see headphones as not just a tech device but also an accessory. Currently, the headphone market can offer you one of two things, style or tech. Fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality and high-tech variations are bulky and not design-oriented. Studio want to bridge that gap. While emphasizing their modern Scandinavian design, they also provide a product that matches the quality of even the highest-rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost. So head over to studio.com today, that's S-U-D-I-O dot com, to receive a 15% discount off any purchase, including free worldwide shipping, using the discount code NORDICTRUECRIME or see the link in the show notes. Remember, that's studio.com. Five years ago Monday, a massive Ponzi scheme shocked the world, and we're not talking about Bernie Madoff. Here. He's dead. He he, he allegedly stole $9 billion Over from a million dollars. Million dollars. Oh, I hate all of you. I hate you. He's the newest poster boy for everything that America seems to be really angry about. I want people to understand that I would never disrespect my God, my wife, or my children. Swindled is a true crime podcast about white-collar criminals, con artists, and corporate greed that proves that money truly is the root of all evil. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you may get your podcast. For more information about the show, visit swindledpodcast.com. This is Brew Crime, a craft beer and true crime podcast. I'm Mike. And I am Beck, and we are your hosts. On Brew Crime, we each take a true crime story and we pair it with a craft beer. You can find our show on your favorite podcast apps. If you can't find it, contact us and we will try to change that. We can be found at www.brewcrime.com or on Twitter at Brew Crime and also on all the social media platforms for Pacific Beer Chat at Pacific Beer Chat. We can also be found at Brewcrime at PacificBeerChat.com. Join us as we discuss depraved killers, stupid criminals, and likely some completely unrelated tangents. Cheers. Cheers.